Spider-Man and Captain Marvel. Welcome to FW Team Up, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm Siskoid. And I'm the Irredeemable Shag. Taking you through a classic superhero team-up, Spider-Man and Captain Marvel from Marvel Team-Up number 142, cover dated June of 1984. And Shag, this is the Monica Rambeau Captain Marvel. Was she your first? No, no, there are too many by that name. Right, right. Now, my, my first Captain Marvel was probably, uh, you know, the, the kid superpower hour with Shazam. Oh, yeah. That would probably, that probably would, although I only have, like, the vaguest memories of that as a kid. So, yeah, this would be my first Captain Marvel that I really actually remember, though. And uh, my, I first encountered her in Secret Wars. Maybe I had an, an Avengers from before then, you know, like a random straight issue. This is uh, the Captain Marvel of our youth, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, because I mean, this is when we started reading comics. I mean, for me, you know, I, I started reading comics on a regular basis with Secret Wars, mm-hmm. issue number two. So there was Captain Marvel throughout the whole series. So I, I got experienced uh, with her right at the get-go. And then I started buying Spider-Man uh, Marvel Team-Up. So boom, right here in uh, one-two one, punch. That Secret Wars element was very early for me as well. And it's one of the reasons I like Captain Marvel is something that happened happens in those comics. Let's Mm -hmm. do that. Let's preface with reasons why we might like the guest character. What's so great about Captain Marvel? So, so this is a little tricky. I just told you she's part of my formative comic reading experience, right? Except it kind of stops there, too. Like, I don't actually know the character that well. I, again, exposed to her early on, but beyond that, I'd only run into her, like, occasionally, like in a later Avengers thing or a Carol Danvers comic or something like that. And I I will admit, I have never read the Roger Stern Avengers run. I, I've read one or two issues in there, you know, periodically, but I never read, read it from beginning to end. So I know that's her era, right? And, and so I didn't get exposed to her as much. So from what I have seen, I like her personality. She seems cool. I like to see, uh, you know, an African-American female character has stepped into the role of what was predominantly a white male character before this. I think that's great. In fact, I remember as a kid, uh, a big newspaper article in our local paper about uh, initiatives like that that Marvel was doing. They were talking about Rhodey. They were talking about uh, Captain Marvel. They talked about Storm. Not that it was a pre-existing character, but just the role that Marvel was trying to play in diversity, which I thought was great as a kid. But, um... If I had any criticism of the character, though, I always felt like she was, like, way overpowered. And, like, her powers were kind of weirdly undefined. So that... And we can talk more about that later if you want. But it's a little weird that she's just got energy powers and seems like she can kind of do anything she needs to for the story. Mm, Yeah. Big gasp on you not reading the Roger Stern Avengers. (laughs) I know. It's a bit shocking. You know? It's like when you go on about the... the, Whatever. The the Jacket Avengers or whatever it's called. (laughs) Whatever you call it. (laughs) Yeah, Brown Jacket Avengers, that's correct. The Brown Jacket Avengers, I'm going, well, at least it's an outgrowth of the Roger Stern era, but no. <laughs> well, it was my first era with the Avengers. Anyway, what about yeah. you? So tell me about your history with uh, Captain Marvel. Why do you think she's great? I like how no-nonsense she is often portrayed to be. Like, obviously, I was a fan of Next Wave, which is much later, uh, where they allowed her to be the leader in a way that Roger Stern wanted her to be in the Avengers, but there was an editorial decree that she couldn't hold a candle to Captain America. So she's portrayed as an ineffectual leader. Ooh. And uh, and Stern actually resigned over that. Oh, wow. So, okay. And she was pretty cool in uh, Marvel Divas, uh, where she was more a, a civilian casual, I'd say. But I think my appreciation does go back to some of my favorite moments in Secret Wars. One of these is Rhodey, who is Iron Man, hits on her. And she puts him down hard, and she thinks 
she thinks this is Tony Stark. You know, like there's no there's no reason oh, yeah. for any of them to think the persona has been passed on to another person. So it's a little weird. He's going, hey, baby. And she's like, she's not having it. Because <laughs> that's exactly how Rhodey talks. <laughs> I, I guess. You know, it's like a fun moment. But then the better moments that she has across her career... It goes back to that. I, I feel like that's really that kind of personality that she has. I like that. Well, I think her shining moment was probably in the the Roger Stern Avengers. I mean, you mentioned Next Wave. I was doing a little research here because, again, I'm not that familiar with her. And it turns out that that personality she gave in Next Wave was very, very different than she had in almost every other appearance. I mean, there were arguments even amongst the fans if it was even the 616 Marvel uh, because she was so different. I, I feel like it's the same mm-hmm. vibe, although by that point, you know, she doesn't want to wear a costume and she's, she's over at the whole superhero gotcha. thing. But obviously when Next Wave is over and she's back into being Spectrum or Photon or whatever, well, that doesn't fit the events of Next Wave. But in Next Wave, you know, you also had Machine Man was a, a machine separatist kind of thing. There was a lot of that kind of... They were all characters that were not doing much until they landed in Next Wave. So I feel like, okay, well, maybe they became a bit jaded with the superhero thing. Mm. And now they're Next Wave. And then when they got out of Next Wave, um, a lot of people jettisoned some of that characterization because it was a little bit too extreme, maybe. It was Warren Ellis, wasn't it? It was. Yeah, that, that explains the extremeness. Now, I, I got I, I got a question I want to pose to the audience. So, like, we're talking about why we think Captain Marvel's great. I want you guys to chime in in the, in the comments on the website why you guys think Captain Marvel is great. Because, quite honestly, I, I have a bone to pick, Siskoid, with, with the listeners at home. Because I'm, I'm trolling through the Fire & Water website, right? And we got seven comments on the last episode we did with Spider-Man and Daredevil. I take that as a personal affront because I'm sitting here looking at, you know, Batman and Commandy that you did with Chris Franklin's got more than that. Ghost Rider and The Thing with Ryan Daly. Ryan Daly got more comments than me? Yeah, I'm taking that personal. Adam Strange and Superman? Seriously, people, I know most of you are DC guys, but get out on there. Leave some comments. Talk about why you love Captain Marvel. Talk about why you don't love Captain Marvel. Talk about next wave. I need you guys to get involved because we got to show up Ryan Daly. I mean, that's really what this is all about. It's the competition between the co-hosts. It is now. I'm throwing the. <laughs> I, I'm throwing my my Spider-Man web gauntlet down. <laughs> Especially Daredevil. I thought he was a beloved character. Right. I know. Okay, but today we're talking about Captain Marvel, so let's get into her publication history. Let me start this off. Her origin is told in her first appearance. Set your way back machine to 1982 and Amazing Spider-Man Annual number 16 by Roger Stern and John Romita Jr. Monica Rambo works for the New Orleans. Harbor Patrol and helps a scientist's friend recover an energy disruptor on a Roxxon oil rig. So obviously Roxxon, always up to no good. They were going to destroy Fort Benning with it. And she bravely smashes it with uh, her bare hands, irradiating herself with its energies, which gives her the power to become and thus project any form of electromagnetic energy. She combines costume elements from a Mardi Gras warehouse and voila, Marvel gets to keep the Captain Marvel name in copyright prison. Now, now, according to Stern, <laughs> she was supposed to be visually based on Pam Greer, Ooh. but editorial, again, decided that Greer wasn't pretty enough. That What? That's insane. I know. 1982 is like, this is a little bit old for a reference, maybe. I don't know. But they handed Romita uh, Jr. The, the picture of some model. Anyway, she, of course, meets Spider-Man in that annual, but the adventure leads her to being offered a place in the Avengers. And from issue 227 to 294... Until she loses her powers due to Dr. Druid's manipulations. He's the worst. Yeah. Well, she's in good standing with the team. Uh, she's a chairwoman from issue 279. 
So she's the, she is the leader nominally. That takes us to late 1988. She recovered the powers, and then the next year was given a special in which she teamed up with Rhodey against Moonstone, among others. But it didn't really go anywhere. She got an appearance in uh, Avengers Spotlight. Uh, she was in events like Atlantis Attacks, the Terminus Factor. But that's it. That's it for until 1990, essentially, where I hand it off to you. Well, sure thing. So you mentioned several things she appeared in, and Monica continues to make tons of appearances as a supporting character all through the Marvel Universe. I mean, tons and tons. She did appear sporadically during the Busek uh, Perez Avengers era from like 1998 to 2002, but didn't really find a regular home until Next Wave, like we talked about in 2006. So there she leads the Next Wave team, uh, which is part of the highest anti-terrorism effort, which is the acronym for HATE, which I love. It's hilarious. And they battled against the Beyond Corporation, which will continue to haunt her for many years, even recently. Yeah. So that series only lasted 12 issues. I was shocked when I heard that because uh, it casts a very, very long shadow in the memory of fans, just like yourself. So after that, she made several smaller appearances. But then her next big appearance was as a main character in that Marvel miniseries you just mentioned a second ago, Marvel Divas, which was inspired by Sex in the City. And uh, she was there alongside Black Cat and Hellcat and Firestar. And um, she gets involved with another series called The Heralds. Then in two, it's just a lot of things like that where she's involved with this, she's involved with that. It's so like in 2013, she's she's in the Marvel Now relaunch of Mighty Avengers, acting as the team field leader. After that, she's a member of the Ultimates team. And then in 2002, very recently, she was a member of the Reformed Thunderbolts. Now, here's the most interesting thing. Just in the past couple months, she has been starring in a new series called Monica Rambeau Photon. This is the first series ever dedicated to Monica, which is great. Now, hopefully it's an ongoing series. It's kind of hard to tell nowadays with the publishers because they'll... They put something out, it looks like an ongoing, and then issue five is the last issue or something like that. So I, at this point, issue five has been solicited just within the last couple of weeks, so we don't know if it's finite or ongoing. I hope it's ongoing. So here, here's something that's kind of fun. There's this weird controversy about her name, right? And, and I don't just mean Captain Marvel with Marvel and DC and Shazam and all that, but so, you know, obviously the original Captain Marvel came before her, which was the Kree Marvel. He has a son named Genis. Well, in the 1990s, Genis decided to adopt his father's superhero name, Captain Marvel, unknowingly stealing it from Monica Rambeau. So she then adopts a new alias of Photon. Well, later, Genis decides to adopt another identity for himself, so he takes on the identity of Photon, once again robbing Monica of a superhero moniker. Pretty sure this was, I can't remember if this was Peter David or Kurt Busiek playing that prank, but kind of funny. So anyway, she comes up with another new identity, calling herself Pulsar. Later on, she does it again, calls herself Spectrum, and now she appears to be back to Photon, which is probably because that's the name they're going to use in the MCU, so that's probably why that's stuck again. Right. She does appear in the MCU. Yeah, absolutely. So she was introduced. It's kind of, I like the way they introduced her. Uh, so they introduced her as a child first in the Captain Marvel movie. So at first when I saw that, I'm like, what? Why'd they make Monica a kid? Well, that's because, of course, we do a big time jump. So you go forward several years to modern day. Well, little Monica, who was a kid in Captain Marvel, is now grown up. And she uh, appeared in WandaVision, uh, portrayed by Tayona Paris. I probably said that wrong because I say everyone's name wrong. But So there she's a former U.S. Air Force captain, now working for S.W.O.R.D., and due to some shenanigans in WandaVision, her cells change at a molecular level, and she starts gaining all these fantastic energy powers. And in the in the very end, uh, Monica is visited by a Skrull, who asks her to meet with a friend of her mother's in space. Obviously, Nick Fury. 
So it's been confirmed that Tayana Paris will reprise her role as Monica Rambeau in the upcoming film The Marvels. So, very cool. So bottom line is she's got this long, long, long history as a supporting character in Marvel. You know, I looked on one website, it said she's got over like 450 comic book appearances, which is crazy, right? Uh, but she's probably still, honestly, best known for her run in the Stern Avengers. Uh, but right now she is poised to be a breakout character thanks to the MCU. Well, I mean, that's probably why she's getting a new series, you know, why she got a new series. Um, absolutely. I mean, the fact they're calling her Photon, yeah, it's absolutely why. It's all tied into yeah. that. Now, interestingly enough, uh, history has shown, as weird as it is, that movies don't tend to bump sales in comic books. As crazy as that is. Working at a comic store, we used to see that. Uh, seeing, you know, I've read articles about it over and over and over. Movie appearances do not translate to sales in comics, at least new comics. They will, back issues, they'll be like, you know, everyone's trying to buy the first appearance of Captain Marvel or whatever. But typically, it doesn't really boost the ongoing uh, sales. Like, Iron Man didn't get a huge boost in sales from the movie mm-hmm. as much as you think it should have. So, uh, I, I still hope, though, there's a high enough profile there that she'll get this ongoing series. And I hope it goes for a long time. Good luck to her. And, well, let's look at this very early appearance. We wanted to talk about the cover first. So cover of uh, number 142 here. How would you describe this one? Well, okay. So we see the black costume Spider-Man and Captain Marvel battling a band of orange and green bad guys. Now, at first, it just looks like they're flying high above New York, fighting up in the air or something like that. But once you really start to look closer, like especially in the background, you see that, no, this is not them flying high above New York. They're actually amongst New York. Like in the background, one of the goons is as tall as a city skyscraper. Which the, the the spatial geography just doesn't track. It's confusing, which is on purpose. It makes you go, "What's going on here?" Like I, I, I had the same thought. It was like, "Oh, the perspective is all wrong." But it's on purpose, as we'll see in the first few pages. There is this model city that does exist, uh, doesn't it? That's like small version of New York, where some of the action is going to take place. The covers by Ed Hannigan and Bob Whitecheck, or is that how you say it? I, that's how I say it, but I say names wrong all the time. <laughs> Sasquoy. <laughs> yeah. What I like here, actually, is the lighting, because Captain Marvel is a light-up character. She's made of light, and I like how mm-hmm. it, like, it hits Spider-Man's bottom. <laughs> oh, yeah, it does. You're the right. The bottom of his face. You know, it's like you're, you're really getting that, like, she's a, a shining person in the frame, and it lights, like, even, like, the shadows on the characters when, like, the guy that's being flipped, the yep. shadow on his face, it's like there's a very bright light in this space. And and just like the uh, Empire State Building there, the shadow is on the side opposite of her. Yeah, I, I didn't notice that until you mentioned it. Yeah, it looks nice. I think that's one of the better things about it. Too bad, though, that she's, she's sort of going out of frame, which is, I wish she'd be a, a little more central, though. Well, I, I feel like, you know, it's all monochrome background. It's all blue, right? The city is all blue scape. Uh, so I think she still pops off the page being a bright yellow and I think it works with the white across the top too makes it pop with her in the corner box and everything as well the only thing I would criticize is like her she doesn't have a logo it's just like Spider-Man and Captain Marvel in, in block print it's a little disappointing almost the same font yeah yeah mm. yeah, yeah. Um, she needs a logo people Let's go back in time. Let's fix that. <laughs> okay, let's uh, look at the story then. It's called Foiled. It's written by David Michelini with art by Greg LaRock and Mike Esposito. I want to add something here. So uh, you, David Michelini, you just mentioned. So this is the fourth writer we've talked about in three months. You know, the previous issues we covered were Bill Mantlo, Tom DeFalco, Jim Owsley, and now David Michelini. Four different writers across three issues. Yet to their credit... I think the stories have a consistent feel across all three issues. So, I mean, they're they're doing their job. They're keeping it the house style. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't feel like it's a different team every time. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it works. Let's do a synopsis. You yep. start us off. I'll finish. Sounds good. Well, I, I will freely admit I have borrowed parts of my recap from spiderfan.org. So, here we, I, I, why reinvent the wheel if it's already out there? 
a string of recent robberies leads Spider-Man to the Nassau County Science Exposition. With Spidey huddled inside a ventilation system, he listens in on the tour guide's description of the Roxxon Corporation's latest invention called Technofoil. This miracle conducting material has the ability to help power New York City for a fraction of the current cost. Now, the tour guide leads the group through this miniaturized model of New York City, which explains the cover, by the way. Uh, Spider-Man thinks about all the amazing properties of Technofoil, the recent thefts, and why he staked out the expo under the assumption that another robbery might just happen soon. Well, Spider-Man's hunch was right, as a bunch of armed guards break into the exhibition hall to steal the Technofoil. That's when Spider-Man swings into action to try and stop the theft. They battle throughout the miniature-scale model in New York. However, when he starts gaining the upper hand, the thieves suddenly teleport away with the Technofoil. Meanwhile, Monica Rambeau spends her day off at the Maritime Museum in Manhattan. While she's gazing at something called the Windstone, uh, which is an object that supposedly grants wondrous powers to ancient seafaring ships, those same henchmen, those darn, darn henchmen break in here, the same ones that robbed the Science Expo, they show up and are after the Windstone. Well, Monica quickly shifts to her Captain Marvel persona and battles the thieves. Monica managed to incapacitate most of the thieves. Now, one of them does manage to abort the mission and flees with the stone. Monica pursues the thief, who activates his teleportation device, which sends himself and his minions away. Unfortunately, for whatever reason, it also forces Captain Marvel to return to her human form while she's flying high above the city streets. So she's she's plummeting. She is falling to her death. She's struggling to activate her powers, but Monica manages to save herself just moments before the fatal fall. She flies up, and knowing that these criminals may return for the windstone, Monica convinces the museum curator to allow her to store the gem safely at the Avengers Mansion. The story then shifts to a private research institute called the Paulson Foundation, which is located out in the suburbs, and the foundation owner is there, Dr. Eric Paulson, and he is furious that his henchmen have lost the windstone, as there's a critical component needed to operate their PRIDE generator. Now, PRIDE's an acronym for Population Reduction by Interdimensional Expulsion Generator. Just rolls right off the tongue. <laughs> Paulson's assistant, Dr. William Lorber, he explains pretty much for the audience's benefit that this machine is necessary. It's a necessary evil for the survival of the human race because once the pride generator is completed, they will be able to teleport over a billion human beings to another dimension. Well, Peter Parker goes to the Daily Bugle to do a little old-fashioned microfiche research, but it's the librarian who mentions Captain Marvel just fought some disappearing foes, so he heads for Avengers Mansion where Monica is putting the windstone away. Star Fox is there, but quickly leaves for his date with the Rockets. Too bad, because he could have been useful, as the thieves teleport in and throw a big pink monster at her, a monster able to grab her even in her light form. Spider-Man shows up at this point and sees the battle uh, through the broken wall. He jumps in in time to save Jarvis from either the monster or Captain Marvel melting the floor. But then the monster disappears and so do the goons with the windstone. But Spidey has just enough time to throw a spider tracer at them. So the heroes board a Quinjet and race towards the villain's lair and get there in time for a full explanation of the plot. Uh, <laughs> the Windstone completes Dr. Eric Paulson's pride generator. Basically, he's built a bigger version of what the goons have been using uh, that will shunt 
all the world's capitals into other habitable dimensions, reducing the Earth's population, yes, but also getting rid of the governments who were never brave enough to tackle the problem. He hopes the heroes will agree that it's the right thing to do, <laughs> but they don't, and a fight ensues. Paulson flips a switch, though, and the generator starts to do its thing. Spider-Man intuits that if the Windstone's energies could be refocused on itself, it would stop the machine. So he bends the support brace until it points at the pride generator, and the whole thing is sent to another universe. But as we've seen, its energies have been having a strange effect on Captain Marvel, who now finds she's stuck in her intangible energy form. Da -da -da -da. And so we're left on a bit of a cliffhanger there. And, and that's a bit of the formula for Marvel Team Up at this time, just like we saw with Daredevil and Black Widow, where they, you know, you get the part one, which leads to part two, a different guest star, but it's uh, it, it all syncs up nicely. Yes, and Marvel Team Up has been doing this from time to time at different points in its run. Uh, but yep. it seems to be, I think Marvel do, does that a lot more than the DC Team Ups do. So, okay, let's talk about this issue. So yeah, it does start in that miniature New York, uh, where the uh, the goons first attack and Spider-Man fights them. So the cover is lying. There is no Captain Marvel at this point. <laughs> so uh, first off, I, I think the fight is it's fun, right? It, it gets increasingly ridiculous as it goes. Like I love the names. Like it starts off with like Wally, and these are the goons, by the way. Wally and Ed and Earl. Okay. Then you get Wilt. Then you get Jimbo, and you get Sniggers. I mean, like. Obviously, Michelini's having some fun here, naming all these characters, which is crazy. But I, I, got, a, I got a question for you. So with the battle here, right, do you feel like when Spider-Man's knocking these goons out, basically each, each time he knocks out a goon, the goon says something, right. which leads to the way Spider-Man knocks him out. Like someone actually says the word knockout, he gets punched. Another guy says, you know, let's put our heads together. They slam their heads together, all that. So my question for you is, you know, were these lines fun in the way they sync up with the way they're taken out? Or was it corny? No, it's fun. Right? Yeah, I agree. I just I was curious on another person's opinion. Yeah, yeah. no, because you, you need this to be a little more interesting. Because mm -hmm. all the goons are just like, they're in leotards, like they're supervillains, you know? They're in costume, right. but they're not really attached to any particular villain. Like, like not a supervillain, per se. They're generic, but also dressed as henchmen. With, so how is this fight going to be fun? One of the things that makes it fun is, is what you said. The other is that you hardly see Spider-Man. You know, you just see his hands. You just see a fist come out of nowhere. So that's kind of an interesting way to stage it as well. I didn't think about that. That works well, yeah. I, I still wish you'd see a little more of the city. The, the fight mm. on the, well, <laughs> I mean, the fight on the cover seems to imply there is a fight amongst, in the streets, you know, in the miniature city. But once you look at it, there's no use of the city really except the sort, maybe Spider-Man's hiding behind a building. But the buildings aren't in right. shot yeah, you're right. for most of it. So I'm kind of disappointed with that element. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I do like is that they're not sure it's Spider-Man when they see him. You know, it's like the black costume is still new, and it makes people underestimate him. Like if, if they saw Spider-Man, they'd say, oh, crap. They see this black-suited guy, but they're not sure who he is. <laughs> it's like, oh, who's this bargain basement Spider-Man? Who's this faker? And they underestimate <laughs> him. I guess we're only, what? two months into the new costume so i guess or one maybe it's i'm trying to remember when it was now i guess yeah it's only a month or two so i guess that makes sense yeah yeah a month or two or in marvel time like three days or yeah or marvel rounds it's what six seconds per <laughs> round so yeah it's rpg joke for you there 
I do appreciate Spider-Man defending uh, the the honor of Gilligan's Island, by the way, because one of the one of the goons disparages Gilligan's Island, and I will not. I abide that. I'm sorry, uh, big Gilligan's Island fan over here. So thank you, Spider-Man. <laughs> no important issues. All right, let's move. <laughs> let's move our scene to the Maritime Museum. So obviously, Monica is interested in this. Because, you know, she was in the Coast Guard, essentially. I like that they connected that. I did read her first appearance, by the way. Um, yeah, yeah. And so I do like that they brought some connective tissue to her origin to this. I like that. Yeah, that she would have an interest for harbors and, and ships. and mm-hmm. So that makes sense. But, of course, there's that windstone, you know, a mystical artifact that's just there and easy to steal. They show up. <laughs> Uh, and, uh, and there's so we have a second fight with these guys, but this time just with Captain Marvel instead, and uh, and she does well. Oh, she does really well. I was just, by the way, I, I think I realized the goons. Don't they look like they might? Maybe they work for DC's Cobra. Is that is that reasonable? They've got the colors, but really, yeah. if you look at uh, what's the name of that character? Oh, Professor Something. Yeah. There there is a character that is exactly green and orange in the Marvel universe. Professor Power. That's it. Ah, uh, okay. Maybe these got these at the henchman, you know, uh, the outlet store. There we go. The henchman outlet store. They're they're used, and uh, that professor's henchman you didn't need him anymore. So henchman surplus. Exactly. To answer your question, yes, she does very well. She she knocks out all, now both her. I did check both her and Spider Man knock out all of the guys except for one in both cases. But she knocks out three in one zap, so that's pretty good. And she changes in front of them. There's like there's no there's no hiding right. behind. It's like there's a woman there. Suddenly there's Captain Marvel, and they go, "Whoa, Captain Marvel!" So they know who she is, but they weren't sure who Spider Man was. <laughs> um, but you know, it's like, oh, where'd she come from? So like, I I think the the blast of light, the sudden light in the room is like, what's going on? And you sort of yeah, they're they're probably seeing spots. So this is where I get a little wonky on her powers because like she creates a light hologram of herself. And then later on, she you know turns herself into a bolt of electricity to zap them. Then she flies and turns uh, you know uh, able to walk through walls, intangible through walls and stuff like that. And the the goons getting away. She can fly at light speed. Like there should be no instance where he's able to get away from her. So I just uh, it's it just seems like her powers in a lot of times are what the plot needs at that moment rather than looking at because I've played I've role played characters before that had light powers and you could and she's not just light she's energy yeah. and there's a lot you can do. So I, I just feel like uh, they're they're they don't use her her full potential at times and then they just use her in ways that work for the story. Yeah, I'm I'm a little I think it's a bit sketchy the bit where she produces a hologram of herself. Like why even do that mm-hmm. when she can just like be there? Why not just be invisible? Because she can do that too. Couldn't she just appear there at the speed of light and then still show up in the back of him and and hit him in the back of the head or whatever? There's just a lot here that's I mean for comic book action contrivance i think the reason she doesn't fly as fast as you think she could i have a feeling i've read an explanation for this it's like if she goes too fast well she can't quite understand the action like like she can fly faster than her brain can process well that would make sense and also i mean if she flew at the speed of light she'd leave earth's orbit Almost immediately, right? You know, so she doesn't want... If she's chasing a guy that's a block away, she may not want to fly at light speed, but she should be able to incrementally below that, I would think. What surprised me about this for the flight portion, what surprised me about it is that, okay, she's falling from the sky? I was sure. Mm -hmm. Turn the page, Spider-Man swings in. Oh, that would have been a good way to connect him, yeah. It does not happen. So, you know, she saves herself, basically. She was street pizza, and then she turned into uh, x-rays at the last second. And flew through the through the asphalt and back. I like that she's. They're really doing a lot of uh, rainbow stuff with her in this issue. 
which I'm not sure was really was it like that in Avengers? I don't I don't really recall that she had like a streak of rainbows behind her. Tim Price, let us know in the comments. <laughs> See that? Fishing for comments. So I will tell you, I, I read this on Marvel Unlimited. This issue is on Marvel Unlimited. By the way, so I, I want to mention that. Uh, the issues we're covering are out there now. When we started this process, they weren't there. So it's only been the last few months that they've started loading these issues up. So I'm really excited it's out there. So I'm reading it in panel You're by... You're welcome. <laughs> right? We Fire and Water Network, making it rain. Not for us, for everyone else. Anyway, so page nine, I'm reading on Marvel Unlimited in panel by panel mode. You know that in the middle, there's this string of panels. They're all vertical. Mm-hmm. And the fourth one over has her falling. And when you read that in panel by panel mode, it's hysterical because her eyes are as big as like her fist. They're huge. They're like, ah, I can't fly. And, uh, you know, on the on the page, it looks fine. But panel by panel mode, it's hilarious. <laughs> no, yeah, it's pretty, it's small in the real comic. But when you right. zoom into it, yeah. it really is kind of silly. <laughs> I am genuinely curious what is affecting Captain Marvel's powers. Because I think it's kind of cool that they took the time in a Marvel team-up book. Now, admittedly, she doesn't have her own book, but still took time in a Marvel team-up book to try and do some interesting stuff with her powers. So I am curious where this is going to go. I've read ahead. I don't remember uh, how it gets resolved next issue, uh, that in one year, out the other, I guess. So I, I will be interested to find out how that goes, because I, I found it interesting. Yeah, because, I mean, the way I, I framed it in the synopsis is that, oh, the pride generator is affecting her powers. But that's not necessarily true. Right, it could be just a different thing right. that happens and that is resolved in the second part of the story and has nothing to do with the pride generator. Although the fact that she's like streaking, streaking rainbows <laughs> with the pride <laughs> generator, right? Totally thought about that. Pride, pride generator would mean such a different thing nowadays. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I don't know that that is actually what is happening, but it seems to be because when there's a big blast at the end of pride energy, that's when she gets fixed into into her light form. So. I'm presuming that this is what it is, and if it's not, it's kind of an odd storytelling structure. But I'm embarrassed to admit that I didn't put the individual henchman's teleporter together with the pride generator being the same process. I didn't put that together, so um, good on you, sir. Yeah, well, I mean, you say Captain Marvel can do anything. I feel like this pride stuff, however they're doing it, like the villains, I feel can do anything. You know, it's like, okay. we'll telep- yeah. we can teleport in and out, whatever. Okay, fine. But then we can also project, as will happen, a giant pink monster from out of nowhere. And that monster (laughs) can hold beings of light like she can't face through it like normally, like she would normally. Okay, well, they can just call up anything they need for the plot. You know, they're even more powerful in that way. You know, like they've read the script and they know what to do. So uh, that leads me to actually a comment. Like, I loved your idea of her plummeting. And Spider-Man swinging in to save her is how Monica and Spider-Man could have connected. Because I don't like the fight at Avengers Mansion. I feel like uh, it was tacked on. I feel like, you know, when Michelini was putting together, it's like, well, we need an act too. Let's throw Mm. another fight in there. It doesn't really sit well. The monster doesn't sit well with me. I would much rather your idea of Spider-Man interacting with her in New York City would have been a better way to connect them. But I mean, you're right. It's like, okay, well, what do we do for act two? What's what happens in the second reel? Because once mm-hmm. we finish that first fight, she saves herself from falling. Then we spend some time with the the villain, learn about his plan a little bit. He's insane. And then Spider-Man goes back to the, the bugle, does a little research. You know, I kind of like this. Like, Peter Parker doesn't get enough credit for being a detective. We know he's a good fighter, etc. He's a scientist. Mm. He figures things out scientifically. But he's journalist adjacent, at least. Right? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And when you're a solo hero, you got to have a bit of everything in your toolbox. And I think 
detective work is a big part of any superhero narrative. And in a solo book, the hero will show some detective ability, you know, probably in some way. And, uh, and Spider-Man doesn't get enough credit for that. So here is actually doing the research. It doesn't do anything. You know, he gets his, he gets his information from the, ar- the archivist or the right. librarian. Sort of uh, comes out of uh, happenstance. You know, he's just lucky to have that conversation. Or he could have just looked at, like, today's headlines. <laughs> right. He's, he's, in the, he's looking at the morgue uh, newspapers. Yeah, of yeah, the yeah. old ones. So. But then we get a little reference here to Milton Caniff. Because the, uh, the librarian is a big fan of... Uh, Steve Canyon was the comic strip. It replaced Terry and the Pirates. And I mean, Steve Canyon lasted 1947 to 1988. Right. That was in newspapers for a long time. Basically ended with Caniff's death. And he'd left Terry because uh, the newspaper syndicate held the rights. So he wouldn't make any mo- real money with that. Ah, okay. Interesting. Michelini uh, or Michelini or I don't know. Is it like the frozen dinner or is it is, is it <laughs> is it the sh sound? Anyway, the writer obviously throwing uh Throwing it out there that uh, I know Milton Caniff's a big inspiration for a lot of uh, comic book people. Well, since we're saying names, I'd always heard it was Milton Caniff. See? But I don't know. <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so then, yeah, Avengers Mansion. Bit of Star Fox to whet the appetite. All right. Right? I got to mention this. All right. So Star Fox says he's got an appointment with some young ladies, the Rockettes, I believe they're called. And he heads off. And Captain Marvel says, it's okay. You go ahead and leave. So he leaves. And we get a thought balloon of Monica saying, I get the feeling that Star Fox would have rather stayed with me, but something was holding him back. Yeah, I'm sorry, Monica. You are kidding yourself. If you look at the glee on Star Fox's face as he's flying to go meet the Rockettes, he has not Monica Rambeau in his mind at all. I'm sorry. That is the that is the look of a man going to meet a bunch of dancers and hoping to have um, a lot of fun. <laughs> What's the proportion of superhero action to uh, straight up banging that Star Fox was doing during that Avengers <laughs> era? You know, he is, after all, Eros. You know, he was mistaken for Cupid, essentially, back in the Greek days. So, um, yeah. Right. Then the fight. Okay, the fight at Avengers Mansion. You said you didn't like the monster. He looked familiar. I Okay, artistically, I like him. But yeah, he does look for the shoulder pads, especially is something about the shoulder pads in the, in the, in the hands, uh, that magenta color, you know, um, is there a gallery that goes with this show? Yes, of course. So folks go in the gallery, look at the pictures and let us know in the comments, hint, hint, what this monster reminds you of. Cause it does remind me of something too, but I can't put my finger on it. Like those shoulder pads couldn't like, but Garve from the Legion. Ah, okay. A little bit. He was pink. He had like this, this kind of Legion suit or parts of a Legion suit on him. Maybe that's it. I, I'm not sure. This is more Rancor-like. I mean, not the, yeah, not the, the arms, face. but I mean, yeah. it, just, it feels Rancor-esque, oh, yeah. which is a, a year a year ahead of time. Isn't this, is this 83 or 84? This is uh, 84, I think, yes. right? Okay, so this is after. All right, it could it be. It could be, right? It's 84, uh, is it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah 1984. I, I think. I don't know. You think the guy who runs the show would have put the publication dates in the in the notes? I did, but, I did. Oh. So I was I was like scrolling back up. <laughs> there we go. Perfect. <laughs> oh yeah, June of '84. There it is. At least Jarvis gets a bit of a, uh, a, well action. I, it's kind of silly where he he's in the the room and he gets bumped by the monster and he's just sort uh-huh. of stuck in between a wall and the and the butt of the creature or something. <laughs> I mean, it's silly. But uh, also, he's trapped behind the monster, and Monica starts throwing these gamma rays. And I would think, in the Marvel Universe, maybe you don't throw gamma rays at people? (laughs) 
what is there a history there or something go wrong <laughs> could, could something happen to jarvis or even the monster to make things worse jarvis smash you know so um that could have been the next team up spider-man and jarvis but jarvis is all hulked out right exactly you'll drink this tea or i smash <laughs> it, it's an extra fight at least spider-man and captain marvel do not fight one another at any point right which yeah, is yeah. often the marvel tradition yeah. it doesn't happen here but they've already met. They just came back from Secret Wars together. True, so. but in the very her for very first appearance, they do fight. Oh yeah, okay, good <laughs> point. <laughs> but monster disappears, and so do the guys, and they've stolen the 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 windstone. So it's all just kind of yeah. We're look another fight, but it doesn't really amount to much. Nor is the monster really defeated or anything. It's just suddenly he's gone. Yep. So that takes us to the third and fourth and final fight. A lot of fights. You're a kid. You get multiple superheroes. You get multiple fights. You're getting your money's worth. Yeah. So you go to the uh, the villain's lair. They follow the spider tracer there. Blow open the wall. Really nice art on that spider tracer. Like a real close up on page 18 of the spider tracer. It looks cool. I really like it as well. The villain's lair. Okay. You got your machine there. The fight is almost in the background. They jump into it, but then it's all just like a, a black mash in the background as uh, the old dude is going to... The drunk old dude. Yeah. <laughs> he's, got, he's got his flask there. I, I love this bit about this guy, right? So, because, you know, in the Marvel Universe, you've got your Dr. Dooms, you've got your Mole Men, you've got, you know, a Dreaded Dormammu, and all these things. And here, the bad guy, he immediately professes himself as... A global economist. Yes, folks, that is what the Marvel Universe villains have come to. Uh, he's just a regular dude. In fact, I do kind of like that he's not some sort of megalomaniac bad guy. He's just a regular guy. He's got a twisted plan, which really isn't that different from Thanos. You know, where Thanos wanted to kill half the universe, uh, at least in uh, the, the movies and everything. Here, this guy just wants to shunt a billion people off the planet with their leaders to another dimension. So he's not killing them. He's just putting them somewhere else that the Earth can go forward. So it's, it's an interesting perspective. Again, I don't agree with him, but it's an interesting difference versus the crazy normal bad guy you come across in these things. At least we're going to survive these habitable dimensions. You know, like his plan isn't too evil but it's also short-sighted i mean if yeah. you're gonna take out every capital city and destabilize every i mean if you remove every federal government from every country uh, you're gonna destabilize the world uh and he's not really talking about filling the vacuum or anything you know right yeah who will be left in charge you know and, and the more i think about this now as i'm literally looking at it so i just made this big impassioned thing about him being a regular guy and yet he still hires henchmen in superhero costumes. <laughs> that is a little weird. Yeah, like he needs his own costume and identity. If he's going to be doing that and have like these yeah, crazy does. machines yeah. and you know, he needs he needs the whole spread. But, you know, it's like I was thinking, okay, who's going to take over the world or the, the you know, like Doctor Doom? No. No, because Latveria is going to lose its capital and Doctor Doom's sitting there. Well, actually, it's after Secret Wars, so Doctor Doom is supposed to be dead. I don't know who would be, but probably just like all these tyrants that the Marvel Universe has spawned. So it's not a great idea. Exactly. Yeah. This guy should have been called the Reducer. <laughs> that should have been like his supervillain name. I am the Reducer! The machine itself, when it's working, and you're seeing these other dimensions, there's a bit of the microverse there. Oh, oh, oh it is kind of. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It doesn't really look like uh, any habitable. <laughs> there's like maybe one semi-habitable dimension in there, but the rest is like just like crazy psychedelics true but in the marvel universe if you go to another dimension you can usually breathe in uh, the air that's there the negative zone is full of air right for some reason <laughs> so okay 
All right. Then the you know the machine is sent. Whatever. That's like the solution here. What do you think of the solution that Spider-Man comes up with? It's ridiculous because like you know so they've got the machine that teleports things and then it's all powered by this windstone at the top sticking up on a on a spike and Spider-Man just decides that you know if if the windstone is what's doing all this if I point it back at the machine we'll win the day. It's a it's a crazy leap of logic that of course works because they're on page twenty one of a twenty two or twenty three page story but it it is just sort of like a huh okay comic science i'll go with it i feel like it is a failure of uh, storytelling because yeah. this is a team up book and sure you 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 know introduce star fox monica's powers are going crazy and so we're the next team up is going to be star fox and fixing this thing with captain marvel presumably but they had an opportunity to whisk like spider-man jumps off the machine just in time but what if he'd been whisked to another dimension he has to have an interdimensional mm. team up with whoever you know one of these characters that lives in other dimensions i think that would have been like a crazier team up and then you come back to the captain marvel stuff an issue later like staying in new york and doing you know more avengers crossovering is fine but you had an opportunity there to send spider-man into maybe a series of i have to find a way to get back home crazy team-ups you haven't read next issue yet have you no no so maybe okay. it, it all connects okay okay cool yeah yeah you're gonna get some of that next issue okay that's good because here i, I just felt like star fox when it could have been, and I don't know who I want to name, you know. <laughs> well, I, I will say, though, with the, you mentioned Captain Marvel, it could have been more of a team-up situation. Captain Marvel literally does nothing. She just, well, she punches one guy, but she just stands there in the final battle. She does nothing, which is so bizarre, because as of a team-up comment, you think them working in tandem would have been the solution. But nope, not at all. One of the things that I feel happens with Greg LaRock here, I know the first issue we covered wasn't Greg, but maybe the way the storytelling is happening in Marvel Team-Up, there's just too much to say or something. But I feel like mm. there's a lot of small panels. The pages have a lot of small panels. There's a lot of panels, which is, is great in terms of having a longer story in the number of pages. It also feels like sometimes the characters are crowded out of the action. Hmm. Well, I, I like the more panels uh, that always makes me happy but you're right the more I look at this you're right Greg has this habit of doing uh, tall skinny four to five panels back to back right all in a row so whereas you would normally get two panels, you get, you know, from four to five. You're right. He does that a lot in this issue. Interesting. It could be that it is, you know, a, a five-pound story trying to fit in a 12-ounce bag. Yeah. I mean, it looks good, but sometimes it's like, well, if we had like a, a wider shot, maybe we'd see Captain Marvel doing something there. If they cut that fight in the middle, this could have <laughs> had a little more breathing room. I got to say that the art does look good. Like you said, I, there's some really nice faces in here. The storytelling, even though there's a lot of panels, it's very logical. Like at no point do I get lost. I mean, that's that's always the biggest concern with storytelling is do you get confused what's happening? I, I never have a mistake on that. I think the figure work looks good. Uh, I, I think Spider-Man's costume looks sleek. I like that one panel you talked about where the, all the other dimensions are showing and stuff like that. So I think artistically, it's a nice, solid piece of work. All right, let's uh, talk about who fared better between these two characters. I know there's like, okay, maybe Captain Marvel sort of dropped the ball at the end there, but how well does this fit each of their stories or atmospheres? Is this a Spider-Man story or is it more of a Captain Marvel story? I mean, I know her powers are malfunctioning, 
but is that enough to push it in her corner? I feel like this is definitely a Captain Marvel story. And the reason why is uh, the Windstone itself is tied to the whole maritime heritage and her. Uh, one of the fights actually takes place at Avengers Mansion. You know, there's a billion lives at stake here. This is a global level threat, which is usually Avengers territory. And like you said, her powers are malfunctioning. So I, I don't think Spider-Man's a guest star. I think he's equally important to the story, but I do feel like it is a Captain Marvel story. All right. Well, I have to agree. I think, uh, I think you're right on that score. What about cool moves? What is Spider-Man's? I think his is actually not so much an action, like a physical fight thing, but having the foresight to stake out the Science Expo. Because he knew that was the only Technofoil left on the whole East Coast. And he hit out, and he waited his, bided his time, and sure enough, the little henchman showed up. So I think he was right. Okay. I like that uh, tracer throw. I really like that tracer oh, yeah. throw. I think that that's maybe the coolest looking moment. Although I also like how on page 20, he jumps on the back of a guy. <laughs> like the, a jumping spider right, right. Uh, element. Yeah, so I kind of like that as well. What is Captain Marvel's coolest move? You first. I will say the museum fight. Across the board, that's where she gets the most to do. It's where she gets a chance to shine, <laughs> pun intended. Yeah, so it's really it's zapping those three guys in one panel with electricity where she's like, she gets them all. One of the guys, one of the guys uh, little uh, ouch noises is nerf. I like that. <laughs> the, the sound effects are weird in this, aren't they? I only noticed Nerf. I don't know. Is there more? Well, I mean, you know, um, when they're using their guns, they kind of look like machine guns. They're, I, I guess they're like laser guns, but they don't go like buddha buddha or something. They go like chut 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 chut. There's always a weird noise. They made a point of that, though. They're not laser yeah. guns. They're they're shooting gelatin, gelatin. like knockout pelotons. Right. Yeah. So it's paintball. Yeah. So that's why it's making the chuck out of chuck out of chuck out of. There's a lot of yep. weird noises. The monster makes weird noises. <laughs> uh, I swear, if you look at just the sound effects of this. They're, they're, they're not the usual. Uh, Somebody's having fun. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, what about dumb or weird moves? Spider-Man's? I think it's in that final battle. I mentioned it already. You know, Spider-Man turning the windstone back on itself. Again, it's huge leap of logic. Sure, they needed to wrap up the story. But it's, like you said, a bit of a failure in the writing that, it, that there wasn't either a better solution or, at the very least, they had given a reason for the audience to think turning the windstone back on the machine might do the work. Mm. I, I also mentioned mine because it's the... The presentation of the miniature city in the first Aww. fight, I felt like that was lacking. I like the fight. I like what Spider-Man's doing. But it's a little weird that you don't see more of the city as an element in the fight, as an environment. Okay. Yeah. For Captain Marvel, I have almost turning Jarvis into the Hulk. <laughs> I think that is a very dangerous move. Really shouldn't be doing that. You make a good point about throwing gamma rays around. That's true. Uh, for me, Captain Marvel's dumb move was doing absolutely nothing in the final fight. Yeah, you know, Again, she punched one goon. Well, Spider-Man literally saved a billion people all by himself. <laughs> it's weird that what they're doing with her is making her throw punches. Right! I know! She can zap people with a bazillion volts of yeah. electricity or light energy or anything and she's punching she's people. She's a blaster. She shouldn't be... I don't know. It's That is right, weird. Right. And as for the friendly fair well, though it is a team-up tradition, it doesn't happen here. We have to wait for the next issue. Yeah, and, and again, it's just two-parters. It's, it's clever, the way to bring the kids back, you know, and also they can squeeze two plots out of one big story arc, you know, so it's a, it's a, it's a good tool for the writers. I think it works. It doesn't work for this show. <laughs> People gotta wait four months for, <laughs> to find out the friendly farewell. And that's all I care about, the friendly farewell. Alright, so we'll take a break for a couple of promos, and we'll be back for our special features. Imagine a podcast that celebrates the things we love. Why spend time being so angry and cynical about our fandoms? Join me, the Irredeemable Shag, for a show where we're just trying to be happy. 
the Once Upon a Geek podcast. Our discussions focus on a variety of geeky subjects that we're passionate about. While the topics will be ever-changing, our focus will be on science fiction, comic books, what it means to be a geek in this world, and other nostalgia-fueled ideas. Life is short. Focus on the positive. Find your joy. The Once Upon a Geek Podcast, part of the Fire & Water Podcast Network. Coming soon from Amalgam Comics. When Monica Blood participates in a voodoo ritual, New Orleans gains a new hero, a being of pure hellfire known as Spectral. But in the first sense-numbing issue of her ongoing series, the cracks are already starting to show. Will Spectral be ruled by blood? Or will this demon of light set the city ablaze? Find out this whenever, when Spectral number one hits the stands. We're back and we're caught in the web. Did I put reverb on that? Maybe I did. Uh, The feature (laughs) where we discuss some of our favorite interactions between Spider-Man and his guest outside of the comic that we just featured. So with Captain Marvel, not a lot of choices, I gotta say. Like, she has a big spotlight in 2022's Amazing Spider-Man number 92, but Spider-Man's not really in it. They don't meet or anything. So here's how crazy it is. It's actually not issue 92. It's issue 92.1. Which is still point one, really? We need that? Okay. I can't believe they're still doing point ones past 90s. <laughs> Are we really left with Amazing Spider-Man Annual number 16, her first appearance? Is that the Monica-Peter team-up? I think it, it is. I mean, I know there's a symbiote Spider-Man, I think the number three, where they team up. Peter David wrote it, but Greg Land did the art, so I didn't want to read it. <laughs> I'm sure there's a moment in Seeker where somewhere where they teamed up, but I didn't want to troll through 12 issues to find it. So, What did you pick across the, their entire history in all of media? Where you know, You're right. There's like 40 years worth of not much to pick from. But I did pick a Roger Stern couple of issues, actually, of Avengers. I picked issue 236 and 237, which I had read previously. Uh, it's early on in the Roger Stern era, and it features Spider-Man deciding to become an Avenger. So he shows up at the Avengers mansion and tells him he's He's on the team. They're like, no, you're not. So anyway, in this case, the wall crawler, he tags along uh, on a mission to Project Pegasus. And he discovers that, you know what? Being an adventure is kind of hard work. So in the story, our heroes, they battle the Lava Men, uh, plus several escaped supervillains, including Moonstone, one of my favorites, Rhino, Electro, and Blackout. And here's where the team up kind of comes into play. Spider-Man and Monica, they, they don't share a lot of screen time. But at the end, the climax is specifically dependent upon those two characters working together to stop a nuclear meltdown. So, uh, which they could have done something similar this time with them working together. But either way, so that's what I picked. And uh, they're fun issues. Okay. That's a pretty good... um, I wasn't thinking, oh, did they meet up in Avengers? You know, I was scouring like Spider-Man comics. But I I still think, you know, if, if you're looking for a good story between these two... Her first appearance is as good as any. It's longer. They get to fight. They get to work together. So uh, it feels like a, a richer team-up between the two than even this issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fair. And our final feature, the bonus team-up in which each of us proposes a perfect Captain Marvel team-up. What do you have? Well, I, at first, I was considering a team-up between DC Comics' Skyrocket, you know, from the power company. I thought it'd be interesting to see these two African-American women who are both in team leadership positions, you know, see them interacting and working together. However, I think it'd be more fun, actually, to see an adventure with someone that has similar powers to her. So I went with the Ray, uh, oh. you know, Ray Terrell. 
from DC. So Monica, you know, some, I don't know, come up with a, some contrivance. She flies faster than the light and slips between the universes and ends up in DC Universe. I don't care. Whatever. But there she gets caught up in some adventure with Ray Terrell, right? And probably dealing with Vandal Savage or something. I don't know. But I, where, where I really want to see is the idea of them leaning into the science stuff of light and energy. You know, I want to see a writer really think about what you can do with that scientifically. Because, like, I'll give you a exa- good example. So in uh, the Elseworlds, I don't know if it's in Elseworlds or not, but anyway, it was called Ganthet's Tale. It was a Green Lantern story. Yeah. No, it's in continuity, yeah. Okay. Well, they included a story element where uh, when light travels fast enough, it's affected by the Doppler effect and changes color. So I, I always thought that was cool, a good way to deal with Green Lantern's energy being different colors. So if someone took something like that, not exactly that thing, but played with the science of their powers and make the fun story, you know, like talk about different types of energy or how energy interacts with itself or affects surroundings or how it's harnessed or stored. I don't know. It, that's where the science person comes in, not me. So that's what I would love to see. You're a fan of the Ray, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. That's part of the reason I lean towards it, yeah. So did you think that, like, the Ray has pretty much exactly the same powers, almost? Well, he's specifically light. Okay. Not all forms of energy. Okay, so Captain Marvel is just, like, it's a little too wide an umbrella. Yeah. Okay, I get yep. it. I, uh, I want Captain Marvel and Mary Marvel. Oh, fun. Let's do it. Uh, Monica gets caught up in a bolt of lightning. She's transported to Earth-S, hits Billy Batson, who disappears and is replaced by Marvel's Captain Marvel. Oh, that's brilliant. I like that. So yeah, Savannah has found this Earth's version of the Moonstone and the two heroines take care of business before visiting the Rock of Eternity and Monica is allowed to say the magic word, Shazam, uh, which finally sends her home. But I mean, the lightning, the lightning, right? And so she can become that. Yeah, yeah, that's perfect. That's a great idea. I love it. We, well, you know, we could have done something with the Flash as well. Uh, her being the lightning bolt that, you know, gives Barry Allen his powers or something. <laughs> <laughs> that's even crazier. Captain Marvel and Mopey, team up, coming next. What about you people at home? What would be your perfect team-up? Please let us know in the comments. Trolling about comments, and that brings us to... Our own web zingers, uh, which is to say feedback from our previous episode, uh, Together, in which we covered Marvel Team-Up 141, starring Spider-Man and... Nobody likes them. Daredevil. You know, next time we do an episode, we're going to need a lot more time for this end segment because there's going to be a lot more comments. So first up is Davis. He writes, great episode. Always a fan of Spider-Man and Daredevil team-ups. There's such a natural pairing. And in hindsight, it's funny how little of the black costume story was thought out yet. I feel like Daredevil would have been able to sense the suit being alive. You know, that's an interesting retcon, Davis. That would have been kind of, you know, obviously, like you said, that it hadn't been thought out. But that would have been fun in retrospective uh, that Daredevil, yeah, would have been able to sense something off with that. I like it. Yeah, do people know? know if uh, I mean Daredevil and Venom have obviously met since then does Venom you know give off a vibe I can't remember I'm sure that I'm sure they have I've I've read literally hundreds of Daredevil comics so I must have read him meet Venom at some point yeah so I'm just saying if somebody knows put it in the comments right exactly <laughs> um, all right Chris Franklin says thanks for the Daredevil history lesson I haven't bought a lot of Daredevil comics myself over the years having had a friend who bought the book for a long time I just read his which is exactly how I, Siskoid, originally experienced Daredevil myself, Chris. But I bought everything that I'd read in trade paperback since, so... Nice. All right. Uh, Bucky749, the American Samurai, says, Great episode. Can't wait till you get to the Spider-Man team-up with Moon Knight. Well, we're almost there. Uh, also, in your opinion, if Marvel did a cartoon version of this style, uh, like Batman Brave and the Bull cartoon, who would you choose as Spider-Man's first team-up, and who would they fight? 
Uh, uh, I would probably have to go classic if we're doing Marvel team up with probably like a Human Torch. You know, someone who was kind of iconic to the series. And for me, every time you talk about Marvel team up, they're going to have to fight Stegron because <laughs> I love me some Stegron and, or Basilisk. Those seem to be the two that sort of seem to live in the Marvel team ups. <laughs> what about you? Do you got anybody you would pick? I think Human Torch is a great idea. Would you play him like let's say it's it's Brave and the Bold? Would you play him a little bit like uh, Green Arrow kind of you know like in that series? He'd be smug, absolutely be smug. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I don't think I can better that idea. So uh, as the very first team up, I think you got to go with the Human Torch. I think that is the the original Spider-Man team up. Tim Price says another great episode, guys. You were teasing Tim Price about writing in. Let's see, he did so. <laughs> I knew he would. <laughs> this was a fun issue, and on my reread, now I appreciate the smaller things even more. Kingpin's workout and concern for an employee, Natasha's stretching while comparing notes with Matt, Pete's silly songs. Those things didn't have to be in the issue. They don't support the plot, but they gave extra life to the characters. Very true. Yeah, absolutely. It was a great issue. really was. Uh, they were from Jason Lady. It says, great episode. I forgot all about this story. I went back and reread it, and I always enjoy a Spider-Man Daredevil team-up. They do lock horns sometimes, uh, and his favorite team-up between them is the death of Jean DeWolf. It has them actually coming to blows, but it's also where Matt and Peter discover each other's secret identities. Uh, Jason says, I love their mutual respect despite their sometimes differing ideologies. By the way, I had no idea Carl Kessel did a Daredevil run, reading it right now, and it really enjoying it. Thanks for the recommendation. See, Jason, I'm so happy you're doing that. That makes my heart sing, because that Carl Kessel and Kerry Nord run of Daredevil is one of my absolute favorites, and I'm so thrilled to hear someone else discovering it. So I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope you stuck with it, because it's really a great ride. We've actually been recommending it to other friends who are looking into more Daredevil comics. So That's right, that's right. Uh, it's always a winner, and it's one of the forgotten eras. Mm -hmm. You know, It's not long, it's not a long, long era, but uh, it's well worth your time. Well, that's it. Thanks for teaming up with me, Shag. You want to tell people what you're working on at the moment? Absolutely. Well, thanks for having me. These are always such a blast. I love them. So uh, right now, I am over at the Once Upon a Geek podcast doing all kinds of stuff. In the near future, I may just have an episode about Battlestar Galactica, oh. the comic book adaptation. Oh. Yeah, yeah. And I've got something in the works for JL May with Dr. Fate. So uh, a couple of different things floating around. There should be fun. Always looking forward to it. A reminder that we do have a Patreon. So if you like this content, want more like it, please about making a monthly or one-time donation, the amount of which will allow you to unlock rewards. Check it out at patreon.com slash fwpodcasts. This month, we're proud to team up with our sponsor, Alan W. Wright, the Bold Outlaw. Uh, we do enjoy reading your thoughts. I think Shag has made that very clear. And <laughs> the best place for that is fireandwaterpodcast.com. We'll read your comments on this issue when Shag is back with us. But next month, I'll be here with our friend Chris Franklin as we tackle Brave and the Bold number 109 and start reading. So uh, poor Chris Franklin. He'll get less comments than we do, though. Oh, sorry, Chris. Well, 109 is a great guest star. I don't know. So uh. <laughs> uh, on that, see you next time for another amazing superhero team up. Because after all, justice is a team effort. I actually don't know what I'm doing here.